Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jess. So we've got two Bible readings today. The first one is Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, which is up on the screen, or you can follow along on your device. So starting at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's writing... uh, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn away from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And then the second Bible reading is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're deep into Jonah Jonah at the moment, chapter 3, so please get your Bibles, open it up. Some verses will be on the screen, the outlines on the hub. Um, and so far, the service has been set up really well through the songs we've sung through the all ages to think about words. Jonah 3 is actually all about words. And I have, I have a question for you, and I'd love your feedback. So this is an interactive part where you can just yell things at me. Um, but I want to ask you a question. Maybe talk to the person next to you as well, if that's, that's fine to do it. But um, I wonder... In what situations are you most comfortable talking about Jesus with someone? Never like, I'd never want to do this, or kind of okay like this, or I love it when. So I'll fill it out first to put some flesh to the bones, but I'd never like this. I very much don't like walk-up evangelism. I have nothing against it. It's not my cup of tea. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I don't like it. Kind of, I, I do, talking to my friends, yeah, I'm a bit nervous, but I'm kind of okay in that moment. Um, and I do love it mostly though when I get to talk about Jesus up front in a situation like this. That's where I'm most comfortable. What is it for you? Um, does anyone want to tell me? Something you really don't like, a situation you never want to talk about Jesus in because you're scared to the bone or something when you just love it uh, in, in a situation. Anyone got anything they'd like to share? Yell it out. Social media evangelism, never like it. Very clever. I didn't think of that one. Good. That's great. Anything else? What about a lover? With someone, we, I really, if, not that you may have the opportunity every day, but if, if you got the chance, this would be a great moment to talk about Jesus with someone. Any, anyone got a positive? 
When someone asks, what do, I be- what do you believe? And they initiate it. That's great. Thank you, Ruth. Anything else? Keep it in your head. We're going to come back to that at the end of uh, Jonah 3 today. Good, though, to think about. What, what, what would it be for Jonah? What do you think? What would Jonah's never want to talk about God in this situation? I think for Jonah, it would have to be a walk-up evangelism where he proclaims on a soapbox in the middle of a city he doesn't like with people he wishes were dead. Come to God! Jonah would never want to go to Nineveh and talk about God. And actually, when he does get to Nineveh, like we read in a Bible reading, as we explore, he actually tries to sabotage his own evangelistic attempts. He actually tries to, to not get them to repent. And we'll find out next week in Jonah chapter 4, especially verse 2, exactly Jonah's own heart, but it, the whole book's been building up to this, these few moments. Jonah did never, wanted, never wanted to go there and talk about Jesus in that setting. I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what it is for me. Because even here, after all Jonah's been through, he's still not happy about what he has to do. And it sounds really strange. I mean, someone who would speak God's word with a grumpy, rebellious, not happy heart. But isn't that us at times as well, if we're honest? Isn't there times when you're at work and it's awkward or it's uncomfortable or you're not in the right headspace and you may find yourself thinking, I could talk about Jesus, I won't because I got all this on my plate. Have ever been there? Because sometimes, like Jonah thought, if we get the truth right, everything else will fall into place instantly. The idea that if the truth's right, everything's going to just follow. But it's not always that easy. We're complex, messy, slow, half-hearted people. We grow and develop over time like Jonah is showing us. The good news of Jonah chapter 3 and of your life is that God gives second chances. Isn't that amazing? That salvation not only comes from the Lord, like we saw in Jonah chapter 2 verse 9, but in chapter 3 verse 1, God speaks a second time as well. We have a second chance God, full of mercy and grace. And perhaps you're here today and don't know who this God is. The God, full of mercy and grace, who gives second chances well, may you think about him as we explore Jonah 3 for the next few minutes. And I want you to get thinking about words, because that's really what Jonah chapter 3 is about. We're going to see today that God's mercy and God's mission are connected directly to his word. God's mercy and God's mission come from, are connected to his word. And that, of course, continues the big theme in Jonah that we've been seeing week after week, that God is filled with far more mercy and is far more missional than what his people often are. Jonah's a good example of that. So today, Jonah 3, we're going to look at some moments of spectacular obedience. And I say spectacular because it really is when you see the scope and scale of it. The spectacular response that the people had in Nineveh, and the king especially. And then we'll reflect finally on our spectacular God that we meet in the pages of Jonah chapter 3. And it begins with Jonah having a moment of spectacular obedience, to be honest. Chapter 1 and 2, Jonah wasn't interested in going to Nineveh. Even, even after that whole fish business, as we saw last week, he's probably imagining spit out on the beach, cold, wet, and soggy. I'm, prob- I'm going to go to Jerusalem to sacrifice, because I said I'm, I'm going to vow, I'm going to sacrifice, I'll go to Jerusalem. The whole Nineveh business is now probably behind me, uh, and off I go. But 
as is the case with your life and my life, God has other plans than what we have sometimes. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it sounds identical to chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But instead of saying, son of Amittai, it says, a second time. What does he say? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. What's changed from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 1? What's changed? Yeah, Jonah. Jonah's changed. He's tasted God's mercy. The surprise of the chapter, as Jonah's full of surprises in the whole book, is instead of God saying to Jonah, oh, you made a vow, you want to sacrifice, go and do that, Jonah. Go to the temple, go, go do what you wanted. God says, actually, go and do what I've already said. Go and do what I've already said. Because, remember, God's word changes people, but God's word doesn't change. God's word changes people, but God's word doesn't change. We see that in the beautiful phrase, a second time. The character of God drips from this particular two words. Can you see? God's nature, his character, mercy, full of mercy, full of grace, the speaking God who continues to give us his word. And then God, almost knowing Jonah's own heart, clarifies and says, Jonah, proclaim the message I give you. You get the hint that God's saying, Jonah, I've seen you run before. Just listen carefully to what I say and just repeat what I say, please. So, what's Jonah going to do? What's the next twist? And, and probably this doesn't come as too much as a surprise, is we read in Jonah 3 that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. He finally got there. After all this, he got to Nineveh. And maybe in your, your Bible, there's a footnote at this point in verse 3, and it says, uh, the, there was a great city to God. There was a great city to the Lord, your, your Bible might say at the bottom. We're reminded Nineveh's great, but archaeologically, we know Nineveh was a powerful, strong, industrious city. The economy was good. It was very um, prosperous. It was also very evil, greatly evil. Great injustice went along in Nineveh. But the point I think God's drawing out is that no matter what they could build on their own, no matter how evil they were, no matter how great their evil was or how great their economy was, they were greatly in need of God and His mercy. And God saw the city and said, you greatly need to know me, which is why I'm sending my Jonah to you. Because you see, God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so Jonah, go there and tell them what's going to happen if they don't turn to me. And so Jonah begins by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He gets there, he goes to the city, one day into this this journey. But he doesn't really love the city. He doesn't really love the people in it. Not like God loves them. He's doing the work of God, but he's not loving God or the people. His mini-sermon, when you unpack it, shows us his heart. Because it almost feels like he's trying to be unsuccessful. Think about it, what he doesn't say. He doesn't mention God. He doesn't mention what they have to do. He doesn't mention they have to repent. He just says, you will be overthrown. 40 days. Don't be under any illusion how shocking this is. And how Jonah wished for this group of people to be overthrown. 
to wake up on the other side of death in the dark alone, to have no one around, to be utterly separate, in distress, with no relief, is a reality that awaits everyone who continues to reject God and His goodness. And Jonah wanted that for this group of people. You know, words of judgment are jarring and heavy, and they've never been popular. No one wants to be judged. Who, don't put your hand up, but who's terrified of being judged by anybody, let alone God? It's not something we like. We don't celebrate that. But, you know, this idea of judgment is the cry of the human race, said one author. I mean, think about it. When you hear of the abuse of a father to his children, an institution taking advantage of others, someone scamming someone else. A few years ago now, I um, got scammed on eBay for a purchase I made. I lost, lost everything, lost the money. Um, then I got a letter. Six months later, Victoria, we caught the person. They're going before a judge. What would you like to have happen? And I thought, oh, they're going to get justice, aren't they? They ripped me off. They're going to pay now. And they're going before a judge. And, and you must pay for that. You must be held accountable for that. You must be now told off, you know, judged for what you have done, essentially. And so there's a cry within us that we want justice and judgment. Is there not? You know, if we dismiss the Bible's teaching on judgment, then what happens is the victim of injustice or violence or oppression, they're put at risk. Because if God is only a God of love, without, a, without justice and accountability, then the vulnerable people become more vulnerable. Bullies are encouraged to keep on going because there's no ultimate account. There's no hope that evil will one day be put right, you see. That the message of Jesus is simply just love everyone and it'll all be okay doesn't hold out well for those who have been oppressed. A great theologian called Miroslav Volf wrote in, through the, the Balkans' war and he said, when you go through war, when you see evil, you suddenly realize that God has to be just. That a God of only love doesn't cut it when you see the evil that is capable of people. God must judge, and I long for God to do that as much as I long for God to be loving and merciful too. And you see, God in his mercy doesn't want Nineveh, Australia, to be surprised by that future. His word is filled with jarring truth at times to awaken us, you see, to the beauty and life and reality that exists on the other side of judgment. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is patient with you. Why? Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, the story of the Bible is painting a picture of a God who's dedicated to your good. He's holding hope there can be life on the other side without fear or judgment or separation from Him. And sometimes you need to know what we're saved from in order to know what we're saved to, you see. And that's not popular in any part of the world, actually, particularly in Australia. But look at the effect it has. Look at what happens. It had a profound effect on the city in this spectacular moment of obedience on their part. The Ninevites believed God. They see it. They get it. Behind the flawed, faulty Jonah, they heard God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. An entire city, from the least 
to the greatest believe God. And, and this happens at time, time to time. In, in 1741, Jonathan Edwards was a, a Puritan minister in America, and he preached a sermon. This is, it's called, and you, you know where it's going when you hear the title, enough said, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This says everything about what he's going to say. And for 45 minutes, he belabored nine points of hell and judgment and evil. And in the tenth point, he said this. He said, let everyone that's out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. And Nineveh responded with this message of judgment by flying away from it into sackcloth and ashes and fasting to show their sorrow. It shows their grief. It's a physical picture of what's going on inside of them. It's a spectacular response from the city. They believe God. And finally, the warning of verse 6 to 9 got to the king. He made a decree. God's word was proclaimed. He then proclaimed his own word. Quick, everyone, show your sorrow. Animals as well. Don't eat anything. Don't taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let everyone be covered with sackcloth. In verse 8, let them call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence, he says. The king, he, he, he rises up, takes off, puts on, sits down in the dust. You know, no earthly privilege is greater than the mercy of God. No matter how you came here this morning, no matter what your bank account says, no matter all the things you have, no matter how satisfied you are with your life and your job and your family and the joy of living, perhaps that you, unless you have God's mercy, you're poor and needy. And it's been, Jonah took three days to learn this in the fish. Yet only one day and five words for the city of Nineveh to realize that. They were made low. They cried out to God. Their posture shows that they covered themselves with sackcloth. Their hearts cried out by calling urgently. Their, their actions, fasting, giving up being evil. Their concern for all animals and all of life shows for the second time <laughs> that the evil ones, is that word, evil ones, are quick to respond, more humble, more in awe of God than Jonah, someone who should know that. And then in verse 9, the king says, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. Who knows? The faint echoes of hope that this king can offer, they echo our life to be okay today, do they not? It's the cry of trying to live a good life. Who knows? Hope it's okay. It's living the truth you decide to follow. Who knows? I hope it's okay. It's the new job and the sea change. I hope it's okay. Who knows? Because we have no concrete hope sometimes there's no there's an air of uncertainty in all our decisions i hope it's going to be okay i mean the stories that i'm sure you know of yourself or friends and family i went to do this last year in march with great hopes who would have known that covid who would have known this i went to uni and got this degree who knows what's going to happen now i've gone like this and now i'm working over here who knows for all the choices we make there is an air of who knows but you don't have to live like that because there is a living hope the Bible talks about. We can go from who knows to saying at each crossroad in the, in the moments of our life and all the mundane you find yourself in to say instead of who knows but I know the God who knows.
I know the God who knows. And that's what this, this city was hoping for. And the next spectacular moment comes in this response of God relenting. I I went to a night service of another church a few weeks ago um, and I heard someone say that we don't need theology, we just need good application because we don't talk about theology. And I cringed because that's a bad theology to say that. If someone says theology is not necessary, then don't listen to them, please. They have a bad theology. Helmut Thiekel, I'm sure you remember that name, he once said, when theology is done properly, it has an aesthetic quality. It's reminding us of the beauty of a smoothly functioning machine or a painting where each color complements the others. The lines and shapes are in correct and pleasing proportion to the remainder of the picture. That is good theology. Have you ever thought about God as aesthetically pleasing for your soul and for your mind? That to think deeply on who God is, his character and his nature is actually the anchor for your soul. The most applicable thing ever is God. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I mean, just look at who this God is in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. You know, when Jonah preached his sermon, he said, 40 days and never will be overthrown. The word overthrown is, is wonderful. Um, it has a variety of, of meanings, like most English words do, and context obviously helps you figure it out. It literally means to turn over. And so in, um, in Genesis 19, it's the same word, uh, when Sodom and Gomorrah was overthrown in a destructive way. The city was turned over, it was ruined, overthrown. But then in Hosea, it refers to turning over a piece of bread. We're going to turn over, overthrow, turn over the bread. In, in, in Exodus, when Pharaoh changed his mind to chase Israel after they left, it says that Pharaoh turned over his mind to go a new direction. He, he just changed his mind. He, he was overthrown in his mind to go the other way. Or it can also mean um, turning over a new heart, a change. You see, what Jonah wanted for Nineveh was for them to be overthrown. And in God's kindness, he did overthrow them, just not in the way Jonah thought would happen. They were overthrown, they were turned over by his mercy, by his compassion, you see. But it does beg the question, though, does God change? Does God change? Because he said, I'm going to do it, and then he said, I'm not doing it now. Maybe God changes. Well, in one sense, God doesn't actually change in his nature, promise, or purpose. It just simply means that when the situation changes, God's consistent with himself to respond accordingly. It's very explicit. Once they repented, God relented. He responded differently. The situation changed. Because if God didn't respond differently with mercy and compassion when they were repenting, God wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be consistent with his character, would he? So no, God does not change. God just responds differently to those who repent. 
If God did not change at that moment, he would be unjust. And we would be always saying, who knows? You would live your life saying, who knows, with no concrete truth at all. You would live every day saying, who knows if God's pleased with me? I mean, think, what if God could change? That means he maybe wasn't the best to begin with, so then we can't trust him to be truthful. Maybe God is going to get a little bit worse because he's going to change for the worse. Or maybe God says, "Eh, actually, I've decided Jesus isn't going to save you anymore because I've changed and you just have to work really hard and it's horrible to think about. Can you see how knowing that God does not change, yet God is merciful, is so comforting? So, Jonah chapter 3 began with God giving Jonah a second chance. It ends with God showing mercy to Nineveh and giving them a second chance as well. We have a spectacular God, don't we? Whose mercy, whose mission are connected directly to his word. So, let's finish with this. Let's look at our spectacular God one more time. Because God has continued to speak through his messengers like Jonah. Prophet after prophet came and kept coming, like Jonah calling God's people and the nations back to the covenant, back to him, reminding them how to live, how do you respond to God, so the nations, God's people, can do what Nineveh does. And they heard about a coming judgment, they heard about a life out of joint, and how God is full of mercy to them if they repent. Over and over, God sent this message. Think of prophets as covenant enforcers. But then came the day when God stopped sending messengers. Instead, God wrote himself into the fabric of history to become the word, to speak the good news that God has the very best intention for you and me at heart. And when God came, he said these words in in Mark chapter 1, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, and it is good news. The time has come, not 40 days, but the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, just as Jonah went into Nineveh, Jesus went into Galilee to a place in our world to proclaim, like Jonah, God's word. And Jesus called it good. But the difference between Jesus and Jonah are many, but particularly, Jesus tells us the kingdom of God has come near and the good news is to repent and believe, to be saved from judgment. That's what repenting is. That God shows mercy to all who have the same response as Nineveh to a heart deeply covered in humility and sorrow for evil and injustice, Jesus invites us in. Jonah wanted them out. (laughs) The good news of Jonah 3 was that we saw God relented. He did not bring the destruction. But in Jesus, God did not relent. He saw his son on the cross who took all the judgment of Nineveh and that you and me deserve upon himself so justice can be done and we can live under God's mercy. Isn't our God spectacular? Isn't that message spectacular news that the messenger, Jesus himself, would become the very judgment Jonah preached and that we can repent and believe the good news that God has come near? Is that you? Do you know that mercy? Do you know that kindness and compassion of God to go from who knows to now saying, I know that Jesus has shown me mercy. I know the God that knows. I pray that you would know that. And so as we finish, let me think about the question from the beginning. What are the ways you find it uncomfortable to talk about Jesus? Or love talking about Jesus if you have the moment, opportunity. From Jonah 3, 
let's see that God gives us his word to proclaim. God said, proclaim the message I give you. He said it a second time. Proclaim the message I give you. Great news, you and me, we've already been given the message. It sounds simple, but the pressure's off because you already have the, the message to say. Jesus, don't make something up. You don't need to. Jonah's five words are not a model for us today. We don't have to walk around saying, in 40 days, Adelaide will be overthrown. That's not the message. But the hard bits of judgment, we can't avoid them either. And that's actually okay. We just simply pass on the message. You're a herald. You're a messenger of news already given to you. Just say it. And I know it's not easy, it's tricky, it's hard, you're going to feel your mouth is dry, you don't know what to do, should I say it now, the opportunity will pass, but, but can I, the pressure be taken off and just realize that you don't have to make anything up. God's given you what to say in Jesus already. And that's good. Secondly, not only does God give us his word, but also his mercy. And I want you to see that you've been given all the mercy you need today. You see, I need God's mercy just as much as my friends who I want to know Jesus do. In the moment when I'm fumbling for words, I need God's mercy just at that moment in a different way than they do. You see? And that's a good thing because God gives us that awareness that we need Him so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves. We wouldn't be a Jonah, a self-righteous kind of, I'm judgmental because I'm a Christian. God makes us feel that awkwardness and awareness so that we would push into him and say, Lord, I need your mercy so I can proclaim your mercy with gentle, kind words of truth and of hope. And God's aware of that. The fear, the inability. He says, it's okay, Luke. You don't trust in yourself. I've, I've got it. Just trust me. I'll give you all the mercy you need. So take hope. May we all take hope that, that today we don't just have to say, who knows? Like the king of Nineveh said, we can go and now say to others, do you know the kindness of our Lord Jesus? And at all the crossroads of my life too, God has given us his word and his mercy so I can say, I know the God who knows. And isn't that good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, even though there are hard pointy bits in it. It speaks truth, and it's good to hear that. And we thank you that you're a God who is just and will judge and hold evil accountable. And that, and that on the cross of Jesus, you judged our sin, our evil, our failings, all of the world, all of Nineveh and Jonah's and my evil. You judged it and you put it to death in Jesus. And when he rose, you say there is mercy and forgiveness for all who would simply see and come and repent. And the kingdom of God is the best news. So Lord, cement that in our hearts and minds. Give us the mercy we need to proclaim your word to others, but also that they too would see your mercy and kindness to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the Damien's going to come up and, and introduce the next song, but maybe over coffee today, you would share... How are you encouraged by today's reminder of God's mercy and mission? Just over coffee, how are you encouraged by God's mercy and mission to take the word deep in our hearts when we leave here? Thank you, Damien and the band.